Welcome back to Ignitecast. This is Rory Tyre, one of your co-hosts. Uh, this episode is part two of two. So in part one, I got to interview Judd Wilson of the Community Development Foundation. And in this episode, which is part two, Judd is going to interview me. We really hope that you enjoy this conversation. Now, I guess I flipped the coin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you lost. So now you're on the hot seat, Rory. That's right. So, Do your worst. Yeah. So when I first met you... Um, I guess you had just started Go Innovation, but you were still um, with uh, Global Outreach yeah. uh, doing that. So when you were at Global Outreach, was Go Innovation on your mind? I mean, is it something you had always thought about? How did it kind of get to the process of, hey, I'm going to start doing leadership development and yeah. coaching? That's a great question. So the, it, it could be a very long story. I'm going to keep it simple. Um, I met our CEO, a guy named Stedman Harrison. Yeah, I met him. Yeah, so I met him through my wife. Stedman came to Mississippi in 2015 from Ethiopia, and he had been working for this global leadership development company called the Center for Creative Leadership. And he had opened an office for them in Addis Ababa. He had pioneered this very innovative approach to making leadership development scalable, affordable, accessible, um, just a really different approach to being in a classroom with people. And you've seen some of this. So like oh, yeah. using a flip chart and putting up simple models that stick in your brain that you can actually go use, not using PowerPoint, um, you know, really participatory, moving people around, using card decks and tools that are in our hands. So he, I knew nothing about that. Yeah. I came to Mississippi because he was coming and he thought he was leaving all that behind to become CEO for Global Outreach, which is a faith-based mission organization right. that's, that's based in Pontotoc. And he needed a vice president of marketing. And my background included like biblical studies and theology and then also nonprofit marketing. And so it was like a really good fit. Shortly after I arrived, I started learning from him like I just caught glimpses of what he had done. I started apprenticing myself to him. And we both had simultaneously this realization. One was maybe we could start a business to help as an alternative funding source for the nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then he personally had this realization of, wow, I, I love development. People keep calling me and emailing me to come work with them. And I used to think that they wanted to work with me because I represented this other CCL. And now I realize, kind of what you said earlier, it's all about relationship. It really was just people loved him. And he's he is just wonderful with people. He's a, a very genuine, like bordering on genius with how, the connections that he makes. And so kind of this those two realizations of me as VP marketing thinking, how can I help sustain this nonprofit? And then him coming in as CEO and saying, you know, is there a way that I could leverage the talents I have to, rather than just thinking of myself as a traditional fundraising CEO, can I also help develop a thriving business? And we ended up founding Go Innovation together with some others. Uh, we had four co-founders. What ended up happening was um, a couple of things. I think he gradually realized that from a personal passion standpoint, he wanted to be more focused on development and in... Um, at the end of 2018, an opportunity kind of came out of nowhere for him to move back to Ethiopia to help the country of Ethiopia have a successful democratic election. Wow. So they moved back last summer, they and their family, and so he's still CEO, but he's from there, and we have an Africa office now based there as Go Innovation. I, the other thing that happened is I had a really significant vocational shift where I, I went through some professional training to become an executive coach. I got a lot more experience, and I just realized marketing isn't at the core of who I am. It is what I did because I wanted to serve and I saw a need. When I first came to Global, they didn't have a marketing department. And by the time I stepped down, there were two full-time employees who are amazing and talented and still work there. And I really felt like they needed somebody who was totally focused on them and not, you know, I would travel to facilitate and um, they needed somebody who was really focused on them. And so Go Innovation now, I, 
I spend all of my time, I oversee our marketing. And, and so I do a lot of content creation. I've created some e-courses, podcasts, obviously. And then um, I do one-on-one executive coaching. So I work with people over five or six months to achieve significant personal growth in whatever areas they're looking for that don't have to require like a trained therapist. Because <laughs> right. I'm not a therapist, but I am a coach. And then um, I also do facilitation in a room, which you've seen with, with the CDF yeah. staff here, where I get a group of people together and just help them learn and grow and change, whether it's working through really specific challenges, planning, or just leader development. And just, hey, here's a tool, here's how you can use it, let's apply it, and then, and then this is gonna help strengthen your work. One of the things I tell people is I started a master's, I didn't finish it. And, and that felt like a significant failure to me at the time. I went through this identity crisis, um, and now doing what I'm doing now is just such a great, I, I tell younger students all the time, you're, you're not, the choice, the next choice you make doesn't have to be the rest of your life. So don't get paralyzed by, oh, if I do this. Now some choices are gonna impact you the rest right. of your life. But like, I was able to, to sort of rebound from not finishing a master's and come into something now where I still haven't finished a master's. Um, I've done other things to become, uh, I guess, credentialed or qualified to do this work and, and really lessons of experience in being apprenticed to Stedman. So I tell people all the time, don't, your, your passion can shift. Um, that doesn't mean that you have failed or that you're not necessarily who you thought you were. Our identity also can shift. So that's kind of the overview of how I got into what I'm doing. And, 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 and seeing it in the moment is so tough. I mean, you asked oh, yeah. me earlier about being a pharmaceutical rep and now I run a chamber of commerce. Uh-huh. I had no idea that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm sure when you were sitting in your classes in seminary, you thought, man, I'm going to run a leadership development. I mean, did that ever run? I mean, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> no, yeah, not at all. And I think, and it encourages me to think about, you know, I'm still really early in my career. Yeah. And, and it just, it encourages me to think, the world is so big and there's just a lot, this sounds so cliche, but there's just a lot of really interesting stuff that humans do. <laughs> and there's a lot of different ways to be involved in it, exactly. you know? Exactly. So I, 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 have, I carry this, I don't necessarily say optimism, but a, a hopefulness along with me, partially because as I work with people, I see genuine growth and transformation and it's super encouraging because I meet people that are in work situations or in personal situations that feel hopeless, that feel stuck, uh, you know, toxic work cultures, and that stuff has solutions if people are willing to, um, you know, go through processes and come around the table. So that I, I, I battle with cynicism, maybe more than some people would would realize hearing me, but I um, I do have a hopefulness that that runs beneath all of that because I see what can be done with people. Right. right. Well, it's neat, Rory, because uh, when that change happened, you said Stebbin went to to uh, Africa to open up that office. And we mentioned at the beginning, we're not from here. I'm not from Mississippi. I was originally from Pensacola, Florida, Uh, originally from Virginia. He keeps telling me he's a Southerner. We all know that Virginia's really Southerners. I remember the first time I'm from the South. No, you're not. (laughs) Survey says. Just the other day, somebody was like, that's a border state. And then then it's the border of the Mason-Dixon. And it just made me laugh. Yeah. Rory, our our resident Southerner of this podcast cast here um but really what's kept you here i mean oh good question you know i when i moved to mississippi in 2015 i had never even thought about mississippi yeah and and so i travel globally now and do work and i'll tell people go innovation we're founded in tupelo and and if people have heard of it usually it's because of the song tupelo honey which really doesn't have anything to do with with tupelo recently uh, um singer songwriter jason isbell has a song called tupelo on um on one of his albums it's actually really good 
And then if they know Elvis, they yeah. they may know it. But like I had, I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah. And so it, initially it was, and my wife is a physician assistant. She works um, a part of the hospital system here and the healthcare system in a clinic. And I, a number of things have been really pleasantly surprising on moving here. So um, I think one thing is there are stereotypes that exist about Mississippi, about the deep South. And a lot of those are not true. And um, a lot of those, it's just helpful to get to know people that were born and raised here, have kin here, have established lives and businesses here. So you think of something like a Reeds as an example, or even other things. And, and it's just been really nice to be able to meet. And I moved here during the, the lead up to the 2016 election, which was pretty divisive. And I think yeah. exposed a lot of these cultural divides. And so stereotypically deep South people tend to go Republican, tended to vote for the president. And, and so I was, I felt like I'm, I'm now attending church shoulder to shoulder with people that are sort of in the eyes of some in the media, as an example, sort of a caricature. Yeah. And, and I'm knowing them flesh and blood, they're eating in my home. I can't have room in my own mind and heart for these stereotypes. So that was helpful. I think Tupelo, even as a city in Mississippi, is unique. Like I've lived here, I've gotten to know other parts of Mississippi, and I think in part because of CDF's role, a lot of the stuff I really like about this area is because of the economic development engine that's been driving. Um, the number of really good local restaurants yeah. here in Tupelo, it blows my mind. And when people come to visit, I'm always like, well, we could go here, 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 here. And it's all local and it's all really good. The largest non-urban healthcare system in the United States yeah. is, is based here. Um, and, and actually, over the past year and a half, as, as I've been doing coaching and leadership development, the majority of my work has been local in partnership with folks like Toyota, CDF, Create Foundation. There's a lot of hunger for development here. Uh, and that, that was a surprise. And so, you know, there's all kinds, you know, Mississippi is like one of the least expensive places in America to live. Honestly, the biggest pull away for Heather and I is that all of our families on the East Coast in North, South Carolina and Virginia. So I think long-term, that's probably where we'll end up. But yeah. as far as being here, man, you know, we wouldn't be able to own the home that we own because cost of living is so low here. And then just the people. Our church is, so you oh, said your church is oh, a major man, way. Our church. Anger, yeah. So I, I, I just, this year, I, I've been serving in a leadership capacity in my church and I, I keep doing that. We've just really developed a wonderful community here. I tell you, when I moved here, my wife and I said, we're going to be here three years. Mm -hmm. We went to, both went to school in Birmingham, which is a larger city. And that was our goal was to get back to Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember after three years, we didn't have kids yet. And, but we were so involved in our church and, and, and uh, through the theater and other organizations we were involved in. And I remember, because I'm one of these, like I said, I'll kind of look at the rules and say, hey, I got to get this done. I said, babe, we've been here three years. Are you ready for me to start looking for a job in Birmingham? We both look at each other and said no. And just because of the connections. Yeah. Transitioning from, so you were in Chicago a while. What were you, what were you doing up there and kind of? Yeah, I moved out that way to do that master's work I talked about yeah. in biblical studies. I ended up working at a small church in the city as their music leader. And that was or in that season when I actually met um, my wife, Heather. Ended up working in marketing for the school. Taught myself, you know, videography, all kinds of things. I had a band, so I'm a singer-songwriter. Yeah, and I had a yeah. band during that time. Now, we, we got really active in the Tell city. Tell us the name of the band. Rory Tyre Band. How awesome is <laughs> that? I mean, it's your name. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, and so the inspiration for that was Dave Matthews. <laughs> yeah, And Dave the reason, I, yeah. I joke with people, it's because I'm full of myself. No, it's actually like Dave, Dave, as a songwriter, it's like he's got this style. And he reached out and he brought musicians whose background was primarily jazz 
And he had this kind of interesting singer-songwriter vibe. And what, what happened was they loved his songs, he respected their musicianship, and then the synergy is history. I mean, yeah. you go see them live and they'll take a four minute song and turn it into 12 minutes. Yeah. And and that's what I wanted. I wanted like, hey, I, I don't, I'm a songwriter. I want people that are better at their instruments than me yeah. to come along and help these songs breathe and then and our live shows we developed a reputation for just having really fun live shows because we just put all of ourselves into it so I was doing all of that and then um, I ended up working for a small leadership development company as their director of marketing but I told them I I saw them doing training and I in the classroom and I said you know I think I could do that I'd look I'll make your website for you I'll help overhaul your brand and make some e-learning but I want to do that at some point well they ended up letting everybody they gave like a three months notice to everybody and so that is the season when I ended up reconnecting with Stedman, who's my CEO now, and ended up looking at moving to Mississippi. Um, and, and so there was a lot of things that gave us the impetus to be open to moving to a state that we really had no relationship with. Right. Neither of us had ever even thought about coming here. The culture shock was real for, for the first couple of years, um, but you know, relationships were the key to overcoming that. Well, tell me a little bit about, you kind of mentioned about the Rory Tire Band and, <laughs> and, and, and kind of jamming with those guys transition that in when you're in a work environment and kind of feeding off others strengths and, and things like that <laughs> yeah that's a that's an interesting question so I, what I, I a major aspect of what I do is facilitation and a lot of people don't use that word often so I say a facilitator I'm not a teacher at the front of the room telling you content that you need to learn I am helping to create a certain atmosphere where people in the room can talk with each other because that, from an adult learning standpoint, will help people to um, get the perception, the perception shifts that they need to overcome their own challenges. And so as a facilitator, I do just enough to provide a framework, and then I invite people to kind of fill that in. Uh, and so there's an element of, I'm not, I'm not in control. Like, I have an agenda, I know where we're going, but, you know, I'm not... I'm not running through a PowerPoint slide. I'm not telling people what to write down. I'm, you know, it's just a different kind of training. And... With, a, with my band, what I always wanted was if we play in front of people, I want there to be an element of who knows what's going to happen. Like my guy's personalities are going to come out. We may blow some things up. And, and you have to have a lot of trust in your bandmates, trust that they know what they're doing. They have to trust you. So if I turn around and try to say, hey, let's do that again. And relationship over time is what makes that trust. Yeah. So we have enough band practices, enough often that we, we trust each other's instincts. We're not going to throw each other off. We're not thinking about what's next in the song. We're thinking about, let's like keep our eyes on each other. And I think as a facilitator, the, the greatest things happen with a group of people when I am not trying to keep my hands on the wheel. Yeah. And that was, as a coach too, one of the things you have to learn is it's not my job to get you to change or to tell you what to think as a coach. It's my job to help help guide you by letting you lead. It's kind of this really weird right. back and forth dance. And I try to do that with the group as well, because look, I, I may have objectives that they want to accomplish. Maybe they, they need to plan for 2020. As I just did this a couple weeks ago with the local executive team. They want to plan for 2020. So I want to get them there and I may help them shepherd and how, but I don't, I want them to do the work because that's going to be more meaningful. And that involves a certain level of trust where I have to trust you have to trust the process. Yeah. Like I have to, that this process is here for a reason. If I start feeling like I'm getting out of control, that's probably a sign that I'm trying to do too much of this and I need to lean on them because I want them to be the experts in their own stuff. I don't need to be an expert on their work. That's not my job. Yeah, yeah. Where's the band now? Are y'all still together? Cause no, yeah, we, you know, we released. Yoko, was <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, this is, 
So from think you know vocational shift perspective, I, moving to Mississippi and accepting the role I did with the nonprofit was a very intentional choice on my part where I recognized I'm walking away from the continued momentum that could be. And, and the reason was, it comes down to personal values. The yeah. lifestyle that you have to lead to be successful financially as a band is, from, for the vast majority of bands, brutal. Yeah. Vast majority of bands don't ever really make a full-time living from it. You have to, you know, increasingly bands, they have got side hustles, they work part or full-time and they pursue it. Unless you go viral, which happens to such a tiny percentage yeah, of people. Yeah. You just can't. And so I looked at, you know, I, we knew, Heather and I, we, we both came from bigger families. Yeah. We knew we wanted kids. Um, I just, it just, it, it made clear sense to step away. We, we did some things after I moved, but predictably, you know, stuff wound down. And today, you know, one of my bandmates, he auditioned for and joined the Army Band on bass. Okay. Uh, Danny, super talented. Really proud of Sergeant him. Sergeant Danny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, don't don't quote me that. I'm no, not sure yeah, what his rank is. Yeah. And then. He's a Sergeant Peppers. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the art club band now. You know, a couple of bandmates have, um, you know, got married. Uh, yeah. One has two kids. The other's got a kid in the way. So I am, th- you know, I don't want to commit to this out loud. And the thing, but I'm thinking about reaching back out to her. I, I write songs all the time. Yeah. I tell people music is a language that I think in. Mm-hmm. And it's just. Like when I hear music, I think I hear it in a way that others don't always hear it. And if you, and I can connect with another musician, I'll be like, oh, I get it. And I think as a professional, it's important to have that passion. I think you and I agree in this. Yeah. It's important to have some, I don't like the word hobby. It just feels a little demeaning. I think passion project. My passion project is music. I'm always writing songs, always capturing ideas. Well, Rory, hearing you answer these questions, it, it kind of keeps going back in my mind about um, you're working in a marketing firm for a leadership company mm-hmm. in Chicago. And then they let everybody go, but then you get connected with Stedman to do global outreach. And now your leadership. So really, I mean, I know Stedman's your CEO, but can I quote you as saying he's your mentor? Absolutely. There's been a succession of supervisors and or bosses that um, one of the main things they did for it kind of spoiled me a little bit because they gave me so much autonomy. Yeah. And in a, so when I worked at, at the school in the marketing department, the director of marketing, a wonderful woman named Rachel Yanthis, she sent me on my first work trip. Like I'd never traveled for work and I flew out to California um, to do some content creation stuff. And she just gave me a lot of freedom. She didn't micromanage. Uh, I, I just think that she was, I asked her one day about something and she said, you know, I don't, I don't want you to tell me when you are or aren't at your desk. <laughs> and and so then when I went to work for the, the marketing or the leadership company, I was working from home. And so it was just, I was working on projects, checking occasionally. And then now with Stedman, he's very not the micromanager, very big visionary. That can have shadow sides too. Yeah. Um, like direction, vision is really, and I'm saying he doesn't provide that, but like, you know, if he's got a shadow side or thing he's got to guard against, it's that. So I, I, when I'm in consulting situations and talking to people about management and leadership styles, if you've got somebody that is is a culture fit, that they, they're the kind of person, they've got the values you want, they can be trained to do all kinds of things because ideally part of that culture is a culture of learning and development where they want to learn new skills. Um, but if you don't give them significant freedom, which includes the freedom to fail, like I, there's things I could have messed up on behalf of these bosses, but if you don't give people that freedom, they will not grow. I mean, this is like a research-based thing that if you don't have the risk of failure, you're, or at least perceived risk of failure, your, your, your brain's just not gonna grow. You're not gonna level up your skills as a person. And so I owe a great deal 
to um, Stedman in particular as both a friend, a mentor. His wife, Alyssa, has mentored my wife. Before we even met, she mentored her through some pretty difficult seasons. And um, But the freedom and the responsibility combination of those two he gave me and that other supervisors have given me is a huge deal. I wouldn't be where I am without that. And so if you're listening and you lead people, really think about, are you giving them opportunities to fail? Are you are you accidentally or intentionally bottlenecking somebody? You know, are you afraid that someone may outshine you? Like I, I had the chance to hire somebody when I was at Global that uh, came in and got paid more than me because I said, you're worth it. Your skills are worth it. You have knowledge and skills that I don't have. I see you playing a significant leadership role. I, I, like I'm not personally threatened by that. And because yeah. it, it's not about me, it's not about ego. It's about what's good for the organization. Right. Um, and I've had bosses who have, and Stebbin, he would hate to hear me use the word boss about him. <laughs> this is not the card. <laughs> but I've had mentors and supervisors who that freedom with appropriate limits and accountability, but that freedom w- w- just really has gotten me to where I am now. Right. It's so important to have a mentor. Yeah, it is. And, and it might be a different person throughout the season of your life. Yeah, but I absolutely. think it, it helps. Uh, and my father, I'll shout both my parents. I, you know, so I train a lot about emotional intelligence. Yeah. And there's a webinar that we're, we're about to release support that I did here at CDF, yeah. the talk that I did about you know, understanding and applying EQ. So EQ is something that really you you either had a context growing up that was conducive to becoming emotionally intelligent or you didn't have that context. And usually it's how you were parented. So I didn't discover until a few years ago that I grew up in a very emotionally intelligent household with a father in particular who, in part because of him wanting to correct what he didn't see from his father growing up, was very clear, I love you. You saying that over and over, showing physical affection, showing emotions, um, you know, not hiding that part of himself. And I, I, I couldn't earn that. I didn't deserve it. I benefited from it. I'm trying to integrate that into my parenting now with my, you know, over two year old and, and new infant and with my wife. It's like an accidental mentoring gift that I got from my family and from my father that has just propelled me forward. So honestly, again, if you're listening, one of the best things you can do is become self-aware about your own emotions and triggers and then free other people to be self-aware and help them grow through things like feedback, things like having vulnerable conversations, um, practicing, you know, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability, uh, Kim Scott, radical candor, you know, don't be afraid of that stuff because you will grow and it will help others grow. It's a great gift that can pay dividends. And you don't really, I mean, as I mentioned, as a kid, I didn't know what my dad was doing. You don't but know I mean, the time. Uh-uh. That's the kind of home I lived lived in because there were so many people at our house. My parents uh, had a Sunday school class of college and, and singles at First Baptist Pensacola, and okay. they taught that class. And yeah. so our door never was locked. Yeah, I mean, sure. there were people coming in, so it was like these, come in, come in. And, you know, <laughs> and it was such a loving atmosphere. Yeah. That now, I mean, I see that's what molded me, Yeah. you know, yeah. because... I love just having people around and you don't really realize it when you're growing up that, you know, what your parents kind of taught you without saying anything. Whatever leadership or authority role you're in, you know, we do social identity. Every person has a given things that they didn't choose. They have a chosen, which are significant choices they made and they have a core, which are the values that, that, that drive our decision making recognized or not as a, as a leader or person to influence your choices become someone else's givens for better or for worse. So you can create an amazing context for people that sets them up for success or through either ill will or just neglect. You can create a context that gives people things they have to work out of or work away from in the future. And in most extreme cases, you're talking about trauma, abuse, but sometimes it's just not saying I love you enough or or not taking the time as a boss 
to tell somebody, I appreciate your work. Don't assume that just because they're getting a paycheck, they know they're appreciated. Yeah. You know, tell people, I appreciate your work. You matter to this company. You matter to this team. I noticed what you did in that report. I'd like you to keep doing that because I think it was great. Don't undervalue how the choices you make become the, the, the given framework for other people, especially if you're in a position of influence and authority. I tell you, and there's another thing is just show up. Yep, just show up. Man, that's that's step one that's right huge. there. Yeah, yeah. And as an so the funny thing is, I'm an introvert. Do you know this about me? I'm an I introvert. I'm the Roy Tyre band. I mean, that's still love that. I'm an iron. I just uh, want to play tambourine on your next album. That's all. Hey, I we asked could for. we could make that happen. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, but I'm an INTJ, and so I do actually live in my head a lot. And so the showing up thing has actually been a challenge for me of recognizing like there's value to just being present opening yourself to that conversation, those relationships, even though it drains me. One-on-one -on -one doesn't drain me, but the group stuff, it really drains me. I need to recharge. But other, you know, we're social creatures. Yeah. And, and even in a town like Tupelo, I think anywhere, relationship is just such an important currency. You don't want to abuse it. You don't want to underinvest in it. Right, right. I think that's neat because, I mean, people always, I mean, I go into a large group of people and have that group thing you were talking about and you said it drains. Man, that's when my battery goes all the way to 100%. Uh -huh. And it, it's funny because here we are, second season of At Nightcast, and I, I think really we've had some great leaders, but yeah. I think me and you kind of bouncing off each other is, has been a, a good thing for this podcast as well to kind of help us, because we're different. He talked about the generation thing. Uh, Rory's younger than I am. He's a heck of a lot better looking. I mean, I got a bald spot. As you know, Rory Tyreband, he he is hip. He is a hipster and I'm not. So we got a lot of things that are different, but I think it, it brings us brings us together to kind of help uncover a lot of these leadership things. Uh, well, and we have a mutual, episode. I think we have a mutual appreciation for helping tell stories and helping others unlock some of their potential. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate that about you, so. Thanks for putting me back in the hot seat, man. Man, it was it was fun to get off the hot seat and put you there, but <laughs> I think it's good for the listeners to kind of get to know their host a little Absolutely. bit. Yeah, yeah. So, Rory, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I can't thank you enough for what Go Innovation's done for for not only at Nightcast, but for their companies and the community and, and for CDF as well with, with a lot of the training you've done with us. Uh, here personally, so we thank you for that uh, as well. And I should drop, if you are interested in connecting with us, you can go to go-innovation.com and uh, there's easy ways to get in touch uh, if we can talk with you, your team, your organization. But for those of you listening, I hope that you've taken some things away uh, from this that you can apply to yourself in your personal and your work life to just become a better version of yourself so that you can serve others. This has been another episode of Ignitecast. Thanks yeah. for listening. Thank you all.